Scripture today comes from Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And the vision for the early church from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Today, for my sermon, I'm going to continue this story from the book of Acts, but fast forward 2,000 years, and we're going to talk about our church's history. Now, today we are celebrating 50 years on Oak Hill, but I want to tell the full extent of our church history. We've kind of discovered some new things about our church, or rediscovered, or rediscovered some details at least. Um... As I was reading old session minutes, which is absolutely as boring as it sounds, made two really great discoveries. One, I discovered the combination to a safe we had downstairs that nobody knew how to open. So we opened it up, and uh, Frank was with me, and uh, Rick was there that evening. We opened up the safe, hoping to find stock or bonds or, you know, find an elevator sitting in that, that uh, safe. We did not. But we found some great historical documents, uh, things that uh, we just hadn't seen in a long time. And then later reading those same incredibly enthralling session minutes, uh, found a notation that said that our church elders voted to have our records sent to the Pit- uh, Presbyterian Historical Society in Philadelphia. So we had assumed, or I had sort of assumed because I had never heard any different, that most of our records had been lost in the fire, but that was not true. They had been sent away for safekeeping after the fire and sort of forgotten about. So we got those back, and we have notes and minutes. The page you see on the screen, it's also, there's a picture in the back of your booklet. It's from 1862. That's a handwritten uh, handwritten notes. That's what they had to do back then. When Abraham Lincoln was president, the trustees of this church were taking notes. Notes look very different then because that is predating Robert's rules of order. So, so we're kind of, we've been rediscovering a lot of this history. Uh, if you come downstairs, every household can get a copy of the history. I've really write, tried to write it up a lot. And also everybody can get a disc that has all the pictures and all the newspaper clippings and you can take it home uh, and then if you look up our church on YouTube, you can probably find at the 50-year celebration the video of this church being built. Um, so I want to tell the history, not just of our 50 years, but of the whole history. 
First, you need to understand that our church originally wasn't one church. It was two churches. One called the Associate Church and the other the Associate Reformed Church, which joined in 1858. So just a few years before these minutes were recorded. The Charters Presbytery of the Associate Presbyterian Church received a petition to have preaching in this area in about 1801. The Associate Church first met, we, our records show, the fourth Sunday of November, 1801, right over in Beaver Falls. Uh, they started to meet, they eventually met at the home of James Kennedy. Uh, and it's always fun to read these notations about where stuff was, because it's stuff that's not there anymore. The farm adjoining the Warnock Estate to the left of Newcastle Road, and on the hill across from the creek from Homewood. You got me, over there somewhere. But 1801, this church got started kind of as a small group. Some preaching, some prayer. Uh, in those days, you didn't have large churches, did not have many church buildings at all. The church was officially formed in 1825. Records recount the earliest pastor, David Imbri. And he has explained at the 100-year anniversary, and it's one of my favorite notations in all of our history, he was about 300 pounds. Uh, that's about all that we know about him. And so when he would go do pastor visits, he would take two horses, because one would wear out and he'd have to switch to the other one. And what he would do is pull over at whatever house he was at, and then knock on the door and get the people to come out. Because he would have to throw himself up on the horse and he was known for flinging himself all the way over on the other side. So he was known in the community for his pastoral care and for helping him get onto the horse. It's quite a legacy. The associate church is sometimes referred to as the seceder church, which we might tend to think comes out of the Civil War, but this is predating the Civil War. It comes out of Scottish politics, where a group of pastors who felt they, they're voice could not be heard by the Scottish church, uh, left. They seceded. In 1830, a house of worship was built near a brickyard between Grove Cemetery and Newcastle Road. It's sometimes described right here as 4th Street. We have a number of people that live on 4th Street. And that brickyard eventually became, up here, a lot of it, the football field. So when we moved up to Oak Hill in 1863 and 60, or 1963 and 64, we were actually moving back to Oak Hill. Um, that was our first church. It was the first church probably built in this area in New Brighton, and that's predating New Brighton. In fact, New Brighton is not formed until 1838. At this time, the church was called New Bethel, though it still was called by most people the Seceder Church. It's also sometimes called the church in the wildwood. You can imagine kind of the hills coming up here would be pretty wild. Thomas Kennedy, in his letter for the 100th year anniversary of 1925, leaves the best description that we have of that space. It was simple with a big pulpit in the front. No pews, just benches. They're just boards with, with legs attached to them. A second church was built by the seceders. Uh, north of 10th Street on the top of the hill. So this would be about 10th Street and 8th Avenue. This is the only known picture we have of this. It's from a drawing from 1883 uh, of, of, a, of a landscape of all of New Brighton. This is the only one that we know of. It was called the White Tower Church. 
Um, it's shown as all white here. Some of the descriptions say that it was brick and had a white tower. Um, it was started in 1854 and finished in 1858. The whole structure, including the lot, cost $2,700 to build. We renovated the bathroom for more than that. For a little reference there. The, preaching at the Associate Reformed Church, the other church, began at the Falls of the Beaver under the old elm oak tree that stood until 1880. I guess there was an infamous oak tree over there. That that's where it started. Intense in the summer, and then at James Patterson's woolen mill that was located nearby. Later, that church moved to the schoolhouse in New Brighton, where the Church of God stands today. A lot of churches did that. They used the schoolhouses as their location. And that particular schoolhouse was known for housing a lot of the churches at the time. In 1837, the church began plans to build their own worship space. And in 1840, built on 7th Avenue, across from what was the 3rd Ward schoolhouse. Um, It was a round building. They used to call it the Bake Oven Church because of the look that they had. They actually sold that building to the Catholic diocese. And that's where um, their Catholic church began. And then eventually they built the Catholic church down there on 7th Avenue, about a block away. The Associate Reformed Church was a denomination from Scotland. Some of them may have been seceders, but most of them were called covenanters, and that's a whole other political split in the Scottish church, where they were going to be forced to submit to the queen, to swear an oath to the queen that they agreed with the Westminster Confession of Faith. And a number of churches didn't want to do that, so they left the denomination informed what would become in America the Associate Reformed Church. There's a certain amount of irony when one of the churches that left because they didn't want to swear to the Westminster Confession of Faith became Westminster Church about 150 years later. So the two churches started meeting in 1854 where uh, I believe the Associate Reformed Church didn't have a pastor at the time. They started meeting together and then in 1858 The two denominations joined, and the churches just stayed together, other than a couple of people that didn't like it very much who left. In the 1800s, worship looked and sounded very different than it it does today. First of all, it was an all-day experience. If you had to do all that work to travel and come together, there weren't a lot of other social gatherings at the time. And so it was all day. You came in the morning, took a little break for lunch, and then you kept going in the afternoon. Singing was a major part of worship, but there's no PowerPoint, no hymnals. Uh, and so what, the, what, the, first, what the, the leader would do was kind of say whatever the psalm for the day was, line by line, and then everyone would sing it in response. And if you had a leader that could sing, they might sing it to give the example, or they may just say it and everybody sang back. Tom Sawyer remembers how the practice went and the outrageous day that the congregation moved to continuous singing. They just started doing the psalms all at once rather than line by line. Apparently some people were so offended that several gentlemen got up, put their hats on, and left the community because that was way too offensive for them. Sounds like a great t-shirt for us. (laughs) Westminster Church offending people since the 1840s. (laughs) But let's not forget... We may have offended people, but we also had two churches that joined together. And a couple of people didn't like it and left. But, but I think that sense of welcoming and affirming has, has always been a part of this church since back then. It's part of our DNA. 
The first church organ was placed sometime during the pastorate of Robert Hay, sometime between 1892 and 1911. We finally got an organ, but you had to manually pump the organ. And the manual pump was down behind the pulpit and the organ. And so it was known that occasionally that person, who no one could see, would fall asleep during the long sermons that would be there. So they'd get ready to sing the final song, and the organist would start to play, and there'd be no air in the organ because he is sleeping. Communion tokens were used by this church. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this practice, but people used, used to have to meet with the elders Thursday, Friday, or Saturday before you came to church, if it was a communion Sunday. And the elders would interview you and deem whether you were ready and willing and worthy to accept the communion. And if so, you would get a token. And the elders would be there to collect your tokens on Sunday morning when you came forward. That practice ended in the 1870s and probably made recruiting elders a lot easier. Elements were not served in the pews until the 1890s. So everybody around here who says the old-fashioned way to do it is to pass the elements around, we didn't do that for the first 90 years. So there we go. Westminster has a rich history of diverse and changing ministries over the years. We used to have a Sabbath school. This was a huge thing for us. This is the program. Uh, We found this program. What's the year? 1887 is this program. And uh, what people would do is gather and they would have classes. I mean, it was a school. We had a superintendent. Um, Major, major deal. It's not like Sunday school. It was a Sabbath school. We also helped start the Falston Mission School, which I can't find very much about it. But I know we organized it in 1882 and it trained missionaries. This is the only picture we have of it. This building, this chapel was made uh, in the 1800s, burns by uh, in sometime in the 1880s. Um, that is over in Falston at the main intersection. So a lot of you have probably stopped there. You, got, you can either turn up the hill or go straight over. Um, uh, that's where we used to have a church. Some of the wood from this church is supposed to be in one of the other buildings that's now a dentist office. But we helped start this, build this, and run this. And we would even have Sabbath school in the morning with church here. And then we had people that would go over and run Sabbath school over there in Falston. The Ladies' Mission Society started in 1877, helping the poor and seeking to bring persons into the church. They were known for making boxes for freed slaves right after the Civil War as freed slaves come up north. They're uneducated, they, for the most part. They want to get out of the South because even though the Civil War is lost, they're not always real welcome down there. And so there's all these freed slaves that come up called freedmen. And our church was involved in making boxes for them in this area, which makes it amazing when we got so excited about making Christmas boxes last year with Operation Christmas Child because we have a 140-year history of making boxes for those in need. Isn't it neat that we got excited? And funerals were always an important part of the church's work. It was a much darker time, not as much medicine. Many things could go wrong. Our records show of people dying of diphtheria, fires, work accidents, suicides. One woman, it just says in the one record, killed by running horses. That's all the record said. And we went back to a later record and we figured it out. That she was on a sled in the snow and something spooked the horses and she was thrown from the sled. Um, 
incidences of fire were, were big. And we have several incidences where our church did funerals for multiple people who had uh, burned in a fire. Countless lives have been touched by this church over the years. When the two churches joined they, in 1858, they used the associate church's White Tower Church showed earlier on 10th Street. But soon outgrew that location and decided they needed to move down to 3rd Avenue. If you ever look at a map of New Brighton of that day, you can understand why. Downtown is where the Beaver Canal used to run, and it would connect up with the Erie Canal. So down there is where the commerce was, down there is where the paved roads were, and our little white church was up the hill in the dirt roads. And you can see in the 1883 map, if you ever get a chance to look it up, um, that our church is the little church. And we don't have a lot of parking. We were up in the dirt roads, and they decided to move to 3rd Avenue. Church moved in 1886 under the pastorate of Dr. William Barr. Um, total cost of the building was about $18,000. It's less than our roof today. Um, and when it was made, it was considered one of the most modern and best equipped churches in the entire denomination. Um, there's a picture of both of the church, a couple locations. I, I love the old cars there. Um, here's Reverend Spots up front. You can see the prominent pulpit with the uh, organ right behind. Here's several of the Bible studies. We were very involved in education at that building. There's a men's group and a women's group. Uh, several people here can point out family members in some of these pictures. Uh, here's the choir, and here's a choir with the children's choir. Again, you can still see the organ. This is some of my favorite pictures. Does anybody know what wedding this is? That is Bill and Marilyn Householder. And you can really clearly see the individual chairs, which would have been very cutting edge in their day. And uh, that's the front of the church. Uh, that brick wall is still, still there, some of the stones of that wall. Down by, under the gun tattoo parlor, used to be McNutt's. And uh, First National Bank. You can see part of the wall still there from this building. How many of you remember that building? Yeah, a lot of people still really have fond memories of that building. With, their, with a slope four, individual chairs. The basement had to be dug out by hand they, uh, at one point. Um, so that they could have a meeting area. And the kitchen closer to the meeting area. This church served our our congregation well for 77 years but during that time the church that was so cutting edge in 1886 was no longer as cutting edge and was in need of updates very little parking downtown and all the other churches were sharing the parking with us and how many of you can remember the trains what used to be the beaver canal okay they got rid of the beaver canal there were some other things sort of down there um, and then eventually the railroad came in and put in the train tracks down there. And that was, so there was 3rd Avenue on one side of the church and the trains on the other. And so it was, most people consider right about at the time of the sermon, there was a train that would pass. And the pastor would just have to pause and sort of wait. Um, so despite running a deficit and spending their savings throughout the 1950s, the church decided that they discerned from God they were going to move. At first, they bought the property now at the Alliance Church, or the, the Assembly Church right here. 
But then this property became available and they decided to get this property. Also, during that research phase, they explored the name of the church and figured out that we were originally called all kinds of things and called New Bethel for a little while. We were the United Presbyterian Church and sometime in there started calling ourselves the first church, even though we never changed our name to that. And so legally, there were a bunch of things they had to do. They had to get the name right. And so we became Westminster Church right at that time. This is the campaign brochure from October of 1963, they were collecting for that, the commitment cards for that uh, special time of moving. October 20th, wasn't October 20th, it was October 2nd, was supposed to be an exciting Sunday. A committee had been visiting, getting all these campaigns, but a fire broke out at the Christner's bookstore, Christian bookstore right next to the church. You can see in this picture really clearly the church, the fire jumped from the building onto our roof. Several people who were at the church that Saturday night felt guilty for quite a while that they maybe started the fire. But clearly it started at Christner's. Here's some other pictures of the devastation. We managed to keep one tower which held that safe that uh, I previously mentioned that was lifted out by crane later. Some of the stained glass window that was prominent in the front of the church remained. And several chimneys, which the trustees were very upset about because they weren't supposed to be up to fire code. And when the whole church burned down, they're some of the only things left standing. There's another picture. How many of you were on this street and watched this fire? It was announced at all the churches. Everybody came down afterwards. Our church met up here, or up at the high school, because one of the board members was, one of, the, one of the elders was a board member. Praise the Lord, though, our church had discerned that they needed to move before this happened. If this happens and we haven't already started to build and, and started to plan the property and started to figure that out, I'm not sure our church survives. But those elders and those leaders in the church before that discerned that it was God's will that they move, and despite running a deficit as a church, they took action. And so our church began to be built. This is the sign that was there on the property before we built. Here's the cornerstone being put in in July of that next year. We broke ground in April, April 4th, 1964, um, just six months after the fire. Um, you can see, I don't know if you can see real clearly, but this is the archways that you see above you before the roof was put on them. Uh, and in the, if you get a chance, take a look at some of the pictures from there. The steeple was put on the church October 16th. That's 50 years ago this past Thursday. One of my favorite newspaper articles uh, is this one. It shows the picture of October 20th. 1963, as a crane is pulling down our old steeple. In October uh, 16th, a year later, almost to the day when our next steeple is being put on. This does not happen if the leadership of this church doesn't discern and follow God's will ahead of time. I don't think, uh, there's no way it happens this fast. And I'm not sure it happens ever. Praise the Lord, uh, first church downtown, let us meet as a church in their building. This building has been such a blessing to us. 
It's designed to be a triangle. I don't know if you've ever figured this out, but it's described really clearly by the people who made it at the time. You got the sacrament of communion on this side. There's a fountain over here that's supposed to represent baptism and the cross sort of behind us. Okay, So this is meant to be a triangle out of which the preaching comes, out of which the weddings come, out of which the funeral comes. The cross of Christ and the sacraments. The church property has continued to change as time has passed. We have now handbells. We now have a maintenance building built in 2001. The back entrance redone in 2007. The parlor upstairs represented at that time, or uh, renovated at that time and called the Westminster Room. Most recently in 2001, Grace Makita gave her home to the church and so we had a parsonage. We now call it the House of Grace. And today we set out to do the biggest fundraiser and renovation since this building was built. Westminster today has many different ministries, typical worship services and Bible studies. Vacation Bible school is always a blast in the summer. The children's clothing happening tomorrow. In about 1995 or thereabouts, we started making apple dumplings and we're still known as the church either that makes apple dumplings or that parks cars for football games. <laughs> Men have met for breakfast the first Saturday of each month since 2002. And in 2010, we went on our first mission trip to the Christian Children's Home of Ohio in Worcester. This has now become a fun and annual event. Today, the times are changing. It is not an easy time to be a church. Many churches... And denominations are in decline. Some are closing. But we are on a comeback. We have always been a hardworking church. Always had financial struggles. That's not a new thing. I hear sometimes about the glory days when we had money. But when I look at the records, I can tell you they're not there. We've always been in that position where we have to trust God. We have always changed and adapted. We've always been interested in learning and in mission. Like any church, we have had times where we turn more inward and care about ourselves maybe a little too much. Like any church, Westminster has at times become stagnant and lost its sense of purpose. But underlying everything, underlying the story of Westminster has been this story of God at work. His fingerprints throughout our history. The surest way for us to be untrue to our past is to try to stay the same. Let me say that again. The surest way to, for us to be untrue to our history is to try to stay the same. We've always been a church that adapts, that grows, that cares about its community. And that is why we do the capital campaign today, and that is why we celebrate. To invest in the next 50 years of this church. To help ensure that this church will still be here for our children and our grandchildren and for others that move into this area. Now perhaps your name isn't in this history. Perhaps you recently came here, or you're just coming here. But you know what? This is your spiritual history. It's your spiritual DNA. God brought you into this fold, and it's part of you now. Live into it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your continued hand at work at Westminster Church. Through seven church names in over a dozen locations, 24 pastorates, 
Countless baptisms, funerals, and weddings, and thousands of communions, you have been with us. Be with us still as we move into your future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.